Father God, I thank you for the presence that we feel in this house tonight. Lord, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this place. Lord, any time that we get the privilege to come into your house, God, we come expecting. We come expecting something great, something miraculous, Lord, something life-changing. And tonight is no exception, Father. We expect great things from you tonight. God, I ask that you would anoint the remainder of this service, Father, that you would use me to deliver the word you've laid on my heart, that you would speak through me tonight, God. Anoint me. Use me. Do not let Clint interfere with what you want to do in people's lives tonight. Open our ears and our minds to receive from you. It is in your holy and mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated this evening. Church of God. I um, won't say I cut my teeth on these pews, but I sure did learn a lot of valuable lessons on these pews. Amen. <laughs> but it is good to be back here amongst people that I consider to be family, close friends, and it is a, a privilege to stand behind this pulpit. I, I want to thank your pastor and uh, those of you that may not know it, me and him have been friends for quite a while. We go way back till I was six, seven, eight years old. We grew up in youth camps together. He used to bully me around. You can believe that. Your, your loving pastor used to abuse me on a daily basis at youth camp. But it's okay. I forgave him. But it is, um, you know, I got the call from him to come and, and preach tonight. And I was so excited. I want y'all to know that. I was fired up. I called my wife and I said, Dennis has asked me to come preach at Startwell. I am pumped. I even called our buddy Michael Mooningham, who pastors in Greenwood. I said, so I'm getting a chance to go preach for Brother, Brother Dennis before you, just to, just to let you know. And he said, well, that's nice. He called me and asked me first, but I told him I was busy, so I told him to call you. And so I don't know if I need to thank him or if I need to thank Brother Michael for the opportunity to be here tonight. But in all seriousness, it, it is a pleasure, and, and y'all that are just getting acquainted with this precious family, y'all have got a gem. Y'all have got a very, very anointed, very God-sent, very God-first family that I believe is sent here by God to lead this church into the future. Amen? Amen. Well, yes, give him a hand clap. That's... <clears throat> I want to ask you a question before I... Before I get started, and I want you to ponder on this question throughout the, throughout the message and throughout the time that we have together tonight. You don't have to answer. I just want you to think about it in your spirit. How many of you tonight are waiting on something? How many of you are waiting on a, an answered prayer? You're waiting on a promise that God has made to you that, that hasn't been fulfilled yet? You're waiting on a loved one to be saved, a, a relationship to be mended? but you're waiting on something. And I want you to think about that as we, as, we, as we talk tonight and discuss this topic of waiting and how at times it is difficult to wait on God. At times we get impatient. At times we want our timing to be the most important thing. We want God to operate on our timing, and it just doesn't work that way. And so just ponder on that tonight as we move forward. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to John chapter 21. 
I told my wife, I said, I'm going to give everyone a break on Pentecost message tonight. Because I think everywhere across the country, people were reading from Acts chapter 1 or 2 this morning. And so we're going to look at something a little bit different tonight. But if you have your Bibles, John chapter 21, we're going to read just two verses, verse 3 and 4. And if you feel like it, you can stand this evening for the reading of God's word. Verse 3 says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the power that we feel when we read your word, Lord. And I ask that you would take over and have your way. In your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, in this, in this verse of scriptures here that we read, Peter was... One of the disciples that the Bible tells us over and over again that Jesus loved, that he considered close to him. Uh, Peter got to experience many things that some of the other disciples didn't. When Jairus' daughter had passed away and, and Jesus was going to heal her, they, he walked up and said, Master, I'm sorry you're too late. She's already passed. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John in to witness the miracle. Peter got to witness many things in his time with Jesus that would cause him to have faith, that would cause him to be able to withstand and to wait on God when it called for it. Well, Peter in this story had just witnessed the death of his Savior, had just witnessed the death of Jesus. He had been buried. He had been crucified. He had rose again. And now Peter is at a standstill and at a turn point in his life where he's thinking, what do we do now? For the past few years, we've just gone across the country following Jesus, witnessing miracles, preaching, teaching, doing, and now he's gone. What do we do now? And Peter here said, I'm going fishing. Now, when we think about that, Peter didn't just go fishing because it was a hobby and he enjoyed it. Peter went back to his old life. Peter used to be a fisherman. That was what he was comfortable with. That is what he was used to doing. And so when times got tough and things got hard and he was at a crossroad, he said, I'm just going to divert back to what I'm used to, what I'm used to doing, the things that are comfortable in my life. When we think about that, it is so, it's so simple for us that when things get tough, when we're at a situation where we're thinking, well, where is God? Why, why am I have to wait? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And we're saying instead of pressing on, I'm going to step back to what's comfortable, where I'm content. But the problem is we get stagnant. We get complacent. And that's not where we need to be. I had to try to find my, my tool for tonight. I, I walked in and... and Jaden saw the bat, and she said, wow, you got a bat? And I said, yeah, we're preaching on tithing tonight. We're going to get it one way or another. But I want to get Gray to come up here and help me tonight with something. He is slowly but surely learning what it means to be a preacher's kid. He gets used for examples all the time. So, but Gray here is my little baseball player. He eats, sleeps, breathes, dreams about baseball all the time. And he's gotten pretty good at it, but right now he's got an injury on his hand. He cut himself, and he can't swing the bat or anything. But I'm just going to use him as a visual example 
for this evening because I'm a visual learner. I like to be able to see what somebody's talking about. Now, when we talk about reverting back to what's comfortable, going back to the old ways when things get hard, when Gray first started playing ball, he had a very, I guess, timid approach to the game. And he would stand something kind of like this. Now, that's not going to strike much fear into a pitcher's eyes or the infielders. They're going to look at that and say, yeah, this kid can't hit. And so with a little practice, with some work, with some time, with, with a lot of hard work on his part, he began to improve to where he stands more like this now. More athletic, more prepared, ready to hit the ball. But what I noticed is the more that he got into trouble, if you know anything about baseball, if he began to get two strikes on him and he knew he had to swing, he would revert back to the old way of standing. Because it was simple. It was easy. He didn't have to think about it. He just got in that position and said, I'm going to swing and maybe I'll hit it. Because it was comfortable for him. But when things get tough and when it, when it got difficult for him, he, he, he reverted back. But the problem with that is when we do that as Christians in our walk with Jesus Christ, we're going through life, we're going through trials, we're going through a little bit of struggle, things get hard, and we're gonna, I'm going to go back to my old way, to the timid way. Because I don't have to try as hard. I don't have to put forth much effort anymore. I can just kind of coast on through life because it's hard. And so Peter here in this story, he had reverted back to doing what he used to do. But see, the problem with Peter doing that is people followed Peter. They watched him. They wanted to live their life like him because they knew how close he was to God, how close he was to Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. And so when Peter told the disciples here, he said, I don't know what else to do, but I'm just going to go back fishing. Their response was, we're going to go with you. We're going to follow you. What we have to remember, church, as Christians, as children of God, is people watch us. They're watching your move. They're watching your mistakes. They're watching your failures. They're watching your struggles. And they're standing back saying, I wonder how he's going to handle this situation. Oh, man, their family ain't doing too good. I wonder if they're going to depend on God or if they're going to kind of backslide a little. Let's see what happens. They're standing on the outside wanting you to mess up. They're wanting you to slip up because when you do, people will follow the people that you're trying to lead to God, the people that you're trying to have a good influence on, the church members, your family, they're going to see that. They're going to see you stumble. They're going to see you give up, and they're going to follow. So Peter here stepped back to what was comfortable in his life because he didn't really want to wait on God. But when we talk about waiting, there's a few things that we have to do, but when we look at waiting, I said I wouldn't read in Acts, but I'm going to read in Acts anyway. I can't help it. It's Pentecost Sunday. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart, but to wait upon the promises of the Father. He had promised the people something. He had made them a promise that he was going to pour out his spirit onto all flesh. But he told them, you have to wait until I'm ready. You have to wait until it is my time to give it to you. See, we as Christians, we don't like to wait. Not even Christians, we as people in our society today, we don't like to wait. We're the microwave generation. 
We want things now. We want it on our time. We want it when we're ready for it. We're like, God, I need this. I need you to answer my prayer for me today so I can make this happen. But God said, you're not ready. He said, you've got to wait. The problem with that is we don't know how to wait. We don't know why we wait. We don't know the reason why God is trying to delay what we know he's promised to us as Christians, as a church, as a family. We know he's promised salvation for our children. We know he's promised healing of our family, of our marriage, of our relationships, growth in our church, and growth in our job. We know this is what's coming our way, but why can we not have it now? Jesus said he's preparing you for the blessing. Because when you wait, it is not just time for you to sit on your hands and twiddle your thumbs. God says, I want you to use this as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to prepare yourself. When the blessing comes, when the miracle happens, when the things take place that you've been praying for, he said, then you can use that to witness to other people. You can grow my kingdom through your waiting. So we, we wait because God's preparing us for the blessing. You know, a lot of times we, we try to put God on a, on a timetable, me and uh, Brother Wesley were talking about this at church the other night, that we, we put God on a timetable whether we realize we do it or not. You know, we say, God, I'm going to wait. I'm going to have patience on you. But the whole time we're, all right, it's been two days. Uh, and we need this. And we have to wait. And when we talk about someone that had to wait, on Wednesday nights we're, we're doing a study on Paul at our church right now. And, and we're talking about how the transformation of Saul to Paul, the things that he had to go through, and, and talking about some life stories that he went through. Well, Saul, before he became Paul, was a very, very educated man. He spent his entire life in school, in colleges, and learned from Gamaliel, and, and learned from all the most highly educated people. So he was in school all his life, up until the point when God blinded him. And then after he received his sight back and God healed him, he saved him, he changed him to Paul, he talked to him, he said, now come meet me in the desert. He said, I need you to go back to school. Paul here is thinking, Lord, I've been to school my whole life, I don't need any more education. He said, but now you're going to learn from me and learn the truth. And so after Paul received this truth from Jesus, he said, I'm ready, use me, put me to work, let me go preach the gospel. And he sent him out and he went out and preached and got kicked out of a church pretty quick. Kicked him out of the church. So Paul went back home, kind of tucked his tail and walked back home. And God made Paul wait for 10 years until he was ready to use him. He made him sit there and make tents out of goat hair for 10 years. And Paul's praying, God, I'm ready. Use me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go preach. I'm ready to go be used by you. Let me do your job. And he said, you're not ready. He made him wait until he was ready. And we know what happened later on. Paul became one of the most prolific people in our Christian heritage. Wrote half the New Testament because of who God used him. Because he waited. You know, I, my family uh, used to like to go to the beach. We used to go to the beach on a pretty regular basis. I'm, I'm more of a mountain guy. I like to go to the mountains. My wife likes to go to the beach. My children like to go to the beach. So, men, we went to the beach. You know how that works. And so, but when we would go to the beach, we'd get in the ocean. And the thing that I hated about the ocean the most is every time you turned around, it was like whoosh, a wave would hit you. You'd stand back up, catch your breath, and whoosh, 
another wave. By the time you get to the shore, I mean, you're barely alive, trying to catch your breath, got sand in every place you can imagine it, and you're thinking, I'm never going back in that water again. But when we look at that, it reminds me of sometimes how we look at our life. You know, we get going through life and we go through one trial and get knocked down and we get back up. We go through another trial and we get knocked down and we get back up. And the whole time we're saying, God, why? Why am I having to go through this? Why am I waiting on you this long? Every time I turn around, I'm getting knocked down. Why am I going through this? I want to tell you something tonight. Do you know it's okay to ask God a question? I didn't say you could question God. I don't go back and tell everybody the preacher said you could question God. It's okay to ask God a question. You just got to ask him the right question. I have learned throughout many things in my life and experiences and tragedies and heartaches and bad decisions that instead of asking God why, I started asking him what. I started asking him what. And I don't know who needs to hear this tonight, but somebody needs to hear what I'm about to say. Instead of asking God why you're going through what you're going through, ask him what. What does Satan know about my future that he doesn't want me to get to? What does hell know about what God has in store for me that he's trying to prevent me from getting to? Because every time I turn around, I'm getting knocked down. I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithes. I'm amening the preacher. I'm living the life like you want me to live, God. But what does hell know that he does not want me to get? Because God has a plan, has a purpose, and a future for everybody in this building, and Satan does not want it to come to pass. So instead of asking God why, start asking him what. When we look at waiting, while we're waiting, we have to do a few things. First thing we do is while we wait, we must seek God. You know, I told you when you're waiting, you can't just sit still. You can't just sit on your hands and, and wait on God to show up. When we look back at the upper room and the 120 that were faithful and stayed, the Bible didn't say they were sitting up there playing dominoes. It didn't say they were sitting there talking about what they're going to do tomorrow. It said they were in one accord worshiping God. They were staying, seeking after him. They were praying. They had their nose, what we should be doing, our nose and the word of God, our knees on the altar, praying to him, asking him to reveal what he has for me in my life. And as they waited and as they prayed, God kept his promise. Now, when we talk about waiting, it's not easy. It gets hard. It gets difficult. It gets strenuous. You'll get some anxiety. You'll get some anger at times when you'll get mad. And you'll get physically mad at times when you wait. But this is part of God's plan, his lesson. He's trying to teach you and mold you to become who he's wanting you to become as a mature Christian. When we wait, it's hard, but it's worth it. You know, me and your pastor had a, a pretty unique conversation a while back. We were... We were coming back from a revival service, and, and we were talking about, it was a serious conversation, believe it or not. You know, a lot of them we have are, are not real serious. We have weekly business meetings, you know, district overseer, council meetings. My wife calls it golf trips, but I call it business meetings. But we had a serious conversation, and we were talking about how come, and I asked him this, I said, how come we don't see the miracles that, that even my father saw and my grandparents saw. 
and the Bible stories that we know are true and real and they happen, it's the same God. He's still got the same power. He hasn't changed. Why, why are we not seeing these miracles? And he gave me, and he might get mad at me for sharing this, but I'll be gone in an hour. He gave me a very simple answer that made so much sense. He said, what are we doing to deserve to see it? And it kind of shook me for a second. I was driving, and, I, and, I, and he can remember, I didn't really say anything after that. I kind of sat there and thought about that. What are we doing while we're waiting to see these miracles to deserve to see these miracles? Are we prayed up? Are we fasting? Are we seeking God? Are we committing our life 100% to Him on a daily basis? Or are we just walking in the church saying, I'm going to lay my hand on the sick and expect God to do it when I haven't done anything throughout the week to be prepared to receive this miracle? We as Christians, when we wait, are supposed to be seeking God, praying, fasting, doing whatever we can do to get closer to Him while we wait. And then when we come to church and He's willing to give us that miracle, to answer that prayer, to honor that promise, it's because we have worked and diligently seeked after God to earn the miracle in our life. Salvation's free. The other stuff you have to work for. So when you're waiting, you have to seek God. The next thing we have to do is we have to exercise our faith. You know, when we talk about faith, it is the best way that I can explain it and describe it is the way I did it for my kids. It's a muscle. Faith is like a muscle. You know, I used to go to the gym on a pretty regular basis. I, I lived in the gym. I was a gym rat, spent hours in there at a time. I know you can still tell that. But I, I lived there, and I worked out there, and I loved it. And, but I could go back today and could lift a fraction of what I used to because I'm not working out anymore. I'm not training anymore. I'm not working these muscles so they die, they fatigue, they, they shrivel up, and, and they just don't work like they used to anymore. It's the same way with our faith. We have to not just say, I have faith. We have to exercise it. We have to step out and trust God. We have to come to church and say, I believe he's going to heal me and step out. You have to step out and trust that he's going to do the miracles. You have to step out and give God your children when they don't know what else to do. You have to give him your marriage when it's falling apart. You have to give God and trust him and step out on the faith. When we exercise these muscles, when we start doing these things, it is exercising, and the way I like to look at it as well, we are activating our faith. You know, it. those of you that know me know that I'm, I'm an outdoorsman. I love to hunt, love to fish, anything sport-wise outside. You know, Mississippi, it don't get too cold. You know, this past year we had probably the most snow and ice that I've ever seen in my life in Mississippi. Probably won't ever see it again, unfortunately. <laughs> But the thing is, is it don't get too cold here in Mississippi at times. We may get a couple weeks where it gets down to about the teens for a couple days. That's it. But when it gets real cold, it's hard to sit in that deer stand for very long, Brother Randy. I can bundle up my, my torso and legs, but if my fingers or toes ever get cold, I'm going to the truck. I'm done. Well, some genius invented these things called a hot hand. And 
and I know y'all know what I'm talking about. They can, you can put them in your boots. They got hot feet now and hot hands and stick them in your pockets, wherever you need to do them to keep your hands warm. But how they work is you go down to Walmart or go to the co-op and you buy them and they come in this little plastic pack and you open it up and it's a little charcoal thing that you shake. And when you shake it, you're activating the chemicals inside of it to make it to begin to cause heat. You stick them in your pocket, stick them in your boots, and you're good to go. Now, if you bought them and you didn't take them out of the package, left them in the plastic, stuck them in your boots, then all you're going to do is just be uncomfortable for a few hours. They're not going to work because you didn't activate them to make them work. So we come to church and we sit on the pew and we say, God's going to, he's going to bless me. He's going to use me. He's going to honor his promises, but we're not activating our faith. We're not moving. We're not stepping out on faith. We're not taking that first step so that God can use us. You know, every time God performed a miracle in the Bible or performed a spectacular supernatural event, it took the person receiving the miracle to move. They had to move. When he parted the Red Sea, Moses still had to raise his staff. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, Martha had to quit giving him a lesson in mortuary science and arguing about him, about him being dead, get out of the way and move the stone. When the same Peter we're talking about wasn't catching any fish and Jesus said, cast your net to the other side, he had to throw it to the other side and make a movement, trust God, have faith that he was going to perform. That's the way we have to be in our life. We can't just expect God to show up and do when we're not putting forth the effort. I am challenging us today, tonight, to step out on faith. Say, God, I'm going to believe that you're going to do this miracle in my life. I'm going to believe that you're going to do it, and I'm going to step out and show you. I'm going to have faith enough to believe that you're going to do it. When I talk about having faith, I love, I love Daniel. And I used to give a visual, good visual example, but I'm not going to do it tonight. But Daniel, when he got faced with the lion's den, you, you do studies and you find out he wasn't a young buck. He was old. He was 98 years old. But the thing about this is by the time Daniel got to the lion's den, he had done went through so much in his life where God had proved over and over and over through every test, through every trial, through every tribulation, and it had steadily grown his faith. So when the king said, you can't pray to nobody but me, did Daniel go hide and not pray? Daniel kicked open the windows and fell down on his faith and said, I don't care if you watch me. I don't care if you hear me. I'm going to pray and trust God. That's the kind of faith we have to have. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what my government tells me I can or cannot do. I'm going to worship my God. Hallelujah. When we're waiting on God, we have to stay focused. We have to stay focused on him. You know, when Peter, before all this happened in our text, he had another experience with Jesus. He was in the boat, the storms arose, and he looked out across there, and Jesus was walking on the water. And Peter called out to him. He said, God, is that you? Lord, is that you? He said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. He said, come here. Well, Peter, he, he probably did about like what I would have done. He was stepped down on that water, got down on the edge, and he started looking around saying, okay, I'm standing on water. He starts walking. Just focused on God. And the disciples behind him, I can, I can see them, Brother Eric. They're, man, you see this? You, you see this man walking on the water? 
And the whole time, he's making eye contact with Jesus and just walking to him. But about that time, lightning struck, and he looked around and looked down and said, I'm on the water. And he got distracted. Satan took his eyes off of what he was supposed to be focused on, and he began to sink. See, when we get distracted from what God is wanting us to stay focused on, Satan will trip you up. He'll come in and trick you. He'll come in and tempt you. And he'll put these little things in front of you that he knows will get your attention. When I was, when I was younger, we lived in South Mississippi, and there was a lake down there called Lake Columbia. Big fish. If any of you like to fish, bass, big bass. And the way we would do it is, you know, we would, I would wait after school was out because, you know, I didn't leave school early. My mom's here, guys. So I'd wait after school and we would load up and we'd go out to the lake. And how we would catch them is during spawning season, we would find where their beds were and we would take these wooden cane poles and we would stick them down in the middle of their bed and we would back up in the boat and just sit back at a distance and watch. And pretty soon, Christian, you could see that, that stick start bouncing back and forth. And what that let us know is that big old mama bass had went in there with her tail, and she was whopping it, trying to get it out of her nest. And so we knew she was there, so we started flipping the bait. We'd throw a jig up there. She didn't want that. We'd change it, put a worm, throw the worm up there. She didn't want that. We'd change it, put a lizard. And she got tempted. Eventually, we found something that she couldn't do without that she had to have, that she distracted her enough that she took her mind off her babies and bit the bait and we had her. See, when we're walking and we're staying focused, somebody needs to hear this. When we're staying focused on God, Satan's going to flick things out in front of you. He's going to find the bait that you can't resist eventually. He's going to say, hey, you need to go look at this on the Internet. Hey, you need to go answer this little comment on Facebook. Hey, you need to answer this phone call from Miss X. He's going to find things in your life that's going to trip you, that's going to tempt you, that's going to mess you up. And when we lose focus on what we're focused on, and that's Jesus, he will step in and he will cause us to fail. I think it was 1989. I had to kind of confirm some of these dates with my mom. 1989, my father suffered a heart attack. And they were taking him to the hospital, to another hospital in the ambulance. And it, I want you to just put yourself in this situation. It was a stormy night. Helicopter couldn't fly. They had to be in the ambulance. And they're going down through there, and mom's in the front seat. Now, I used to work on an ambulance. I, I spent a, half my life working on one. And I can imagine if I had someone like her in the front seat, I'd probably be driving a little bit faster thinking, this woman has lost her mind. <laughs> but the whole time in the front seat, she is praying, speaking in tongues, and seeking God for protection of her husband laying in the back. And she tells the story. She said, I can hear the heart monitor, as I'm praying and focused on God. Beep, 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 beep. And she said, all of a sudden, a big gust of wind come in. Lightning shook, blew the ambulance all over the road. She said it frightened her. She grabbed a hold of the door to keep her balance and, and looked around and terrified. And all of a sudden, beep, flatline. She became distracted for a split second. And that's all it took. A lot of times we think that just because we're 
focused on God and, and we, we're following what he wants us to do and, and we're serving him, we're, we're paying tithes, we're coming to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we're doing our devotion, we're, we're praying daily, we're doing all this, but all it takes is for one time for us to quit focusing for Satan to step in. She immediately went back to praying, speaking in tongues, praying, and just as quick as it stopped, beep, 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 started back. Thankfully, God healed him of that. We had many, 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 many more years with him. But the point of that is, is it's a real-life situation to let you know how quick and easy you can be distracted and take your mind, take your spirit, take your heart off of what God is wanting you to do. When we are distracted, when we take our mind off of what Jesus has for us, we are allowing Satan to step in, hinder us from being what and who God has called us to be. Every person in this church has a calling on your life. You don't have to preach. You don't have to teach. But he's called you to spread the gospel. He's called you to speak to the lost. He's called you to go out and minister. Because we have to remember our purpose as Christians, and that is to see souls saved. You have to stay focused. If I can get someone to come up on the piano tonight, or you can play music, whatever you do, Brother Dennis. What what I want us to look at here and remember as we kind of bring this to a head is that while we're waiting, while we're struggling at times, while we're facing trials and questioning and not understanding why we're going through what we're going through, Jesus never forgets us. He never leaves us. He never doesn't know what we're going through. You know, when the disciples were out there fishing, and they, hasn't, they haven't caught anything all night. The Bible says they fished all night and didn't catch anything. And a guy walked up on the shore. And Brother Eric, they didn't even recognize him. They had gotten so distracted with not knowing what to do, going back to their old ways, that when Jesus showed up, they didn't even recognize him. He looked at him and he said, I like one... One version, I think it's the New Living Translation. He says, hey, fellas, have you caught anything? I can hear him now. You know, when you're out fishing and you're not catching anything, you don't want to be asked that. Hey, man, you catching anything? No, I'm not. Thanks for reminding me. So they look back, and Peter probably in disgust because he's already at a loss for what to do. He, he, he doesn't have Jesus anymore. He don't know what to do. He's been fishing all night because that's all he knows how to do, but he ain't catching anything, so he's not even good at that anymore. And some guy's asking him, did you catch anything? He said, no, I haven't. He got mad at him. He didn't know it was Jesus trying to help him. How many times in our life do we, do we get so off course? We get so distracted and we're not waiting on God the way he wants us to wait that when he finally does show up, we get aggravated with him because he don't give us the answer we want. He doesn't answer us the way we think we should be answered. He told him, he said, uh, why don't you try casting your nets on the other side of the boat? And what I love about that is, first of all, Jesus didn't forget him. 
He didn't give up on them. He didn't leave them. He went to find them. He didn't ask them to come find him. He went all the way out to the shore when they were in the middle of the lake, and he went and found them. Not only did he go find them, he tried to help them. He gave them advice. He gave them an answer. Cast on the other side. They cast their net on the other side, and they're trying to pull the net in. To their surprise, there's too many fish to even catch. And so Peter all of a sudden gets that feeling, you know, that goosebumps. You know, God's talking to me. He turns around and he says, Lord, is that you? And what I love about this part is the last time Peter went in the water after Jesus, he, he was timid. He was scared. He got distracted and he drowned. This time the Bible tells us that he didn't have his clothes on because he was out working, so he threw his shirt on and he jumped in the water. He didn't hesitate. He didn't think about it. He said, I see my Lord. I've been waiting. He has showed up. He's got the answer for me. And he dove headfirst into the answer. He got on shore and, and Jesus began to ask him some questions. He was sitting around eating. Peter just left the guys in the boat with the fish. He said, y'all figure it out. I'm going to see Jesus. They get there and Jesus looks at Peter and he said, you love me? Of course I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He asked him that three times. And what Jesus was letting him know right there is just because I'm not here, just because I'm not sitting right here beside you every day of your life, he said, I have a plan for you. Until I answer your question, feed my sheep. Spread the gospel. Tell people about me. Tell them your story. Tell them what I've done for you. When Jesus shows up, don't keep it a secret. When he shows up, don't keep it a secret. Tell somebody. When God answers your prayer that you've been praying about, don't, don't keep it a secret and bottle it up. Tell somebody. Because that person you tell could be on the verge of giving up because they've been waiting for so long and just hearing you say, God answered my prayer, could get them to the other side. Testify. When Jesus shows up, he speaks. We've got to be ready to hear. He speaks through us through the word. You know, I wish he would come down and sit in my living room and have a face-to-face conversation with me, Pastor. I wouldn't be able to handle that. That's why he don't. But he speaks through us through his word, through prayer. He'll speak through you through music. I ride down the road a lot of times. I used to work in Columbus. would have to drive back and forth from Columbus. We'll drive from Columbus all the way to Greenwood. I have a lot of time with Jesus and Caleb. And he would speak to me through songs, through music. Don't take that for granted. Don't think that's just, oh, it's a coincidence. That's him speaking to you, answering those prayers. we got to be ready to hear it. When Jesus shows up, people get saved. You know, I, I was talking about Paul, and he had to wait. He did 10 years of making tents, but when he finally got to go out and preach and teach and tell people about God, they threw him in jail. 
God, I've been preparing for this for my whole life, and I go out and preach one time, and they throw me in prison. The neat thing about that story, though, is when the prison jails swung open, and God shook it and caused it to swing open, Brother Eric always thought that he opened it up so they could get out. He opened up the cell so the jailer could get in. Paul and Silas looked at that gate that swung open, and they had a decision to make. They said, we can leave. We got our freedom. But they remembered their purpose. They remembered their calling. They remembered that we're on this earth not for glory, not for fame, not to to tell people who we are. We're here to see people saved. And they sat in that cell and waited on him to walk through, and they witnessed to him, told him their story. Not only did he get saved, his whole family got saved, and they baptized them that night because they remembered their purpose. Last thing, when Jesus shows up, people leave satisfied. You know, the world right now is a, it's a crazy place. There's people hurting. There's people crying for help that don't even know they're crying for help. I talked to our class on Wednesday night, and one of the things we talked about was answering the call that we have on our life. And one of those things was to stop, look, and listen. And we had to listen for the people. The world is screaming for truth. They're screaming for for peace. They're screaming for love. They're screaming for answers. They want reality. They're wanting all these things, and we as Christians have to be ready and willing to respond. So when Jesus shows up, people leave satisfied. Just stand with me tonight. Remember that question I asked you at the very beginning? Who's waiting on something tonight? I want you to close your eyes because I want this to be a moment with you and God. And I want you to be honest with yourself and with Him. If you're waiting on something tonight, I want you to just raise your hands. Say, God has made a promise to me, to my family. I need some healing in my life that I know that I'm waiting on God to do or I I need some loved ones saved. We're waiting on something. I want you to really examine your heart and I want you to ask yourself, am I waiting the way God wants me to wait? Am I waiting faithfully? Am I seeking Him? Am I praying? Am I praising Him through the storm? Am I giving Him glory when I don't want to at times? Are you waiting the way God is wanting you to wait to see the miracles in your life? Tonight, if you're waiting on something, I want you to come to this altar. I know COVID's been going on and people are afraid to be prayed for. And I won't touch you if you don't want me to. But if you want to be healed, if you're waiting on something in your life, if you're waiting on an answered prayer, then you need to step out and activate your faith and step out and trust that God can do this thing in your life. Nobody has to touch you. God can. Father, you see your people. You see their needs. You see their hearts. You see this congregation. Lord, you know what everybody is going through. Lord, we can't hide from you. We can't hide the truth. But we are all waiting on something if we would be honest with ourselves. Tonight, God, I believe it could be the night. I believe tonight could be the night for healing. 
I believe tonight could be the night of salvation. Lord, it can be the night of deliverance. Lord, it can be the night of sanctification. It can be the night that lives are turned around, and we're going to step out and have faith that you can do it tonight. Lord, in the rest of this service, in this altar service, I ask that you would have your way. Let lives be changed, and let we give you the glory. Y'all stretch your hands this way as we pray for There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Oh, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your